How many of you dads, and there's a, a couple of us here this evening, how many of you dads remember when you first became a, first became a dad? All right? To whom much is given, much is required. Amen? Can, can you remember that day in which you walked in there and, and there was your, your boy, your girl, for the first time you held him or her in your arms and you literally felt the weight of that responsibility? Oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> being a dad uh, carries with it a lot of responsibility. You know, being a mom carries with it a lot of responsibility. So I'm just speaking from my perspective as a dad. I've loved being a dad. I've been a dad to five kids. Now I got five grandkids. I love it, love it, love it. But there's a lot of responsibility with that. I remember just feeling that weight of responsibility. Once the once I was just I was so ecstatic and I realized, oh my goodness, I have to take care of this baby. And you remember when you you're you're putting them down and just a few hours later they would wake up and you would just realize, okay, I'm just gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And it would happen several times during the night, over and over and over, night after night, you were wondering, am I ever gonna get it get this get to sleep. Now, do you remember that first night when you put your baby down? This is what happened to me. Like, a couple hours later, I, I just kind of woke up a little bit. I didn't hear a baby crying, and I just thought, what time is it? And I got up, and I looked in the crib, because we had the crib in the, in the room, and I looked, and I, I put my hand in front of her face, right, just to make sure she was breathing, right? Have you, have you ever done that? Am I the only one? Yeah, you've done that. Is she, are you still alive? You're good. Okay, just cuddle up a little bit more. Okay, great. Do you remember the first time you woke up since the baby was born and you slept through the night and you woke up and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then the reality hit. Is my baby okay? And you, you get up, you go into the next room because several months ago you put the baby in the other room, right? And you're, you're making sure that she's okay. And she's sitting there, she's playing with toys. She grabbed that extra roll of toilet paper and it takes an hour for you to clean it up. And, and she's okay. And how about that time in which, you know, you're, you're heading out to church. You, you've got everything. you got the, the, the diaper bag. You've got, you're on time and you're heading out. And suddenly, yep, the baby does it. Just all over the, you got to go in, change her dress or her, his outfit. And then the mom, of course, has to change hers. And you get to church late again. Or how about that time in which, you finally get in there and you've, you're wearing your nice white pants and you've got your baby sitting on your lap. Oh my goodness. All over your pants, the pew, the carpet, and you just really, you just can't win. And you just realize it is so hard to be a dad, so hard to be a mom. And there's so many complications. But I tell you what, when that baby for the first time smiles in your face, doesn't it just melt your heart? First time I came home and she could actually talk, I, I could swear she said, Dada, I really do. And she was there and crawling towards me and I picked her up and held her. And just the joys, but the sense of responsibility. I remember just years later, my wife and I teaching, she's been home from teaching them, you know, science and math and then conflict resolution, right? All of, their, all of our children had to learn conflict resolution. Well, here's why I'm bringing this up. Because as a family, 
we have all felt this responsibility. And it wasn't just a mom and dad. When Kate was older and now we're raising little Jimmy, he was number five, she even began to feel this sense of responsibility. But it was a delightful responsibility. Amen? Mom's dad's a delightful, you can say it louder, amen. It was a delightful responsibility. Now, we've been going through five eternal metaphors. And I call them eternal only because as I read through my Bible, it seems as if God didn't just choose some metaphor out there in the physical world that looks like, and you might be able to teach something about this spiritual truth, like relationships, deep, intimate relationships that says focused on love. And God created marriage to be able to reflect that. He didn't just look at it, but he created it to mirror it. I believe God did this with family as well. Do you realize that if God is love and he is the only one, and if there was no such thing as a trinity, it would actually be impossible for God to be love because love must be expressed. You don't just feel love. Love isn't, it just isn't is. Love is expressed. You have to demonstrate love. And within the triune God, for all of eternity, they have, you can call them the holy family, if you will, and I'm not talking about the holy family because Mary is somehow in there. No. The holy family is the trinity. The Father, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And, and with this in mind, sharing that love them, God wanted to say, how can I, how can my creation be able to understand in a deeper sense this sense of family, this sense of togetherness and belonging and love. I'm going to create a physical family. And so he created the physical family to mirror the spiritual. So the spiritual preceded the physical. The heavenly preceded the earthly. And this is what I'm talking about eternal metaphors. And the last week we looked at family. We looked at how we are actually birthed into the family of God. And being birthed into the family of God, my last name is Curtis, I then received certain things of my dad's DNA in me. And we too have the Spirit of God in us, <coughs> and consequently we are created then in Christ Jesus. We begin to look like him. Okay, ladies, I'm not talking about the beard and that. I'm talking about we begin to love like him and rejoice in him. We begin to have patience just like Jesus, have compassion. So these are the things that we begin to mirror him because in a very significant way, we have his spiritual DNA in us. And we have then, because of this, have received an incredible inheritance. Now remember I said in the beginning, to whom much is given, much is required. Okay? So we have this inheritance and God has called us to be the family of God. And if that is the case, church, he has given us so much, we then must act like that family. The family of God. Listen to just a few of these statistics I have written down here. 50% of marriages end in divorce. Now, that statistic has been around for quite some time, unfortunately. But how about this one? Three and a half million violent crimes are committed each year against family members. 40,000 plus per year commit suicide in the United States. 25,000 homicides around there are committed every single year. Well over 10% of Americans are on antidepressants. 
healthy families and this strong sense of connectedness are clearly lacking in our society. You see, they want a family. They want this sense of belonging. I'm going to tell you what. The, the testimony of so many people who, when they have gotten saved at Powerline, they've come in and they've been loved on. They haven't said, you know, my favorite thing about the, this, this church is, you know, Mike Curtis is such a great preacher. They, they don't say that. I wish they did, but they don't say that. They, they don't say, well, I mean, the worship is just so amazing. I think it is absolutely amazing. But you know what so many of them say? Is when I came into Paralyze, the people loved it. Sarah Jeffords, 15 years ago, she became part of Paralyze. And she, you, I, I'm not even going to share all the different things that she was involved in. And God pulled her out of that. And, and cleaned her up and, and loved on her and through the people, through many of you, and brought her not just to Christ, but to really reflect Christ. Like Jeffords, about the same time, God called him out of darkness. Squirrely Mike got saved, and God changed him so much. It was amazing to see this squirrely guy completely change and become a leader in the church. God just two years ago made a choice, and I don't understand it, but decided to call my say, okay, you gave us about 15 years of loving on Mike and being loved. This is the family of God. I want you to turn to a passage. It's in Romans 12, verse 10. Romans 12, verse 10. And it talks about family in this verse. I want to see if you can see it. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, if, that, if I went through that too quickly, I'll say it again. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, did you see that phrase family love there? Now, it's not brotherly love. That's not what I'm talking about. There's actually, in the Greek, it's literally translated family love. Do you see it there? In my Bible, it's not translated family love. You know how they translate it? And it's translated this way in the NASB. Be devoted. Be devoted. In other words, have family love. That's literally what have family love. They translate it, be devoted. The King James, both NIV and NASB translate it that way. The King James translates it this way. Be kindly affection to one another. Interesting. Go back just one more verse. What does it say? Love must be sincere. This is the topic. This is the context that Paul has. He just talked about the spiritual gifts and how the spiritual gifts are to be used to build one another. And then he talks about love must be sincere. Sounds like 1 Corinthians, right? He's talking about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And he says, let me show you the best way, and that is, and he shares chapter 13. Chapter 13 is all about love. That's right. And then 14 is all another whole chapter about walking in those spiritual gifts, how we can use them to comfort, encourage, and build one another up. So, this idea of spiritual gifts wrapped in love is really dear to Paul's heart, and he actually expresses that here, and he says, love must be sincere. Now, this idea of hate what's evil and cling to what's good, that's the focus on being sincere, being genuine. 
not being hypocritical, looking one way, but really being being a different one. Be sincere. Don't be veneered. Truly love. Now, the very first challenge that he gives in this section about love, the very first word has to do with family love. Have family love with one another in brotherly love. That sounds just a little bit awkward. And so for that reason, and and, in this word family love, it basically was really translated have family love because the implication quickly became in the Greek language, be devoted to one another. That's what family is all about. Be devoted to one another. I grew up in a family in which even though we got six, six kids, five, five boys, one girl, my poor sister. But let me tell you what, she could hold her own. But in that family, we were as, as much as we got into fights with one another, we were devoted to each other. Sibling rivalry? Yep. That was our that was our nickname. But we were devoted to it. If one if if we if someone needed our help, we were right there. And we would risk our lives. We were devoted to it. And so God actually created the family to be able to mirror this relationship that we have with God as our Father, but then also as brothers and sisters. This is important because when the world is in desperate, critical need, like it is right now, it's looking for this sense of connectedness and belonging that the church is supposed to be on. The power line is supposed to be on. Now, personally, I think you guys do an absolutely amazing job, and I'm going to actually talk about that a little bit later. But family love, so crucial. Ephesians 2.19. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. See, we're all a part of God's forever family. We're a household. We live in community. When you read through the book of Acts, you are immediately struck with the sense of devotion that they had for one another because they had all things in common. doesn't mean they all cut their hair just the same way and all had the same uniform. That's not what it's talking about. Having all things in common meant what's mine is yours. They share. In the NIV, that's how it's actually translated. So they shared with one another so that there were no needy persons among them. That's how they lived as a family, the family that you grew up in. Generally, moms and dads will make sure that every need of every person in that family is met. We may not have done the best job at it, but I tell you what, that is the concept of family because even in the Greek culture, they got it. They're devoted to one another. This is God's household, and we were devoted to each other. Far from the ideal family, but it was created to in some way reflect that. I, I don't understand how it happened, because truly my brothers and I fought like cats and dogs all the time. But we were devoted to one another. 
We would take a bullet for each other. This is that sense of devotion and commitment and belonging that God is wanting the family on earth to reflect and now his church to be able to walk in. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Listen to this. It says, this is how we know what love is. Let me just tell you right now, there are many people out in the world who come from broken homes. When you ask them, what do you think love is? The only way they can answer is because of something they've seen on TV because they certainly didn't experience much of it. Their, their home was splintered, fractured. Maybe at least one of the parents that they grew up with in most homes, by the way, today, most kids do not live in with with biological with two biological parents. Most of them live in splintered homes. And they're 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 there, so many of them are, are scarred. They maybe many of you, when you came to Powerline, you were hurt, you were scarred. God needed to heal you, and He used people in this church, and maybe other Christians at other churches to minister that healing that you needed in your life. It says here, then, <laughs> this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life. For us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He doesn't just say for one another, but he wants us. He wants to bring in this idea of family for our brothers. Do you get that? We're brothers. We're sisters in Christ. We lay our lives down for each other, just as Jesus laid His life down for us. goes on in verse 17 it says if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him how can the love of God be in him my prayer is that God make my heart broken when I see the brokenness in this world and the day that I start becoming insensitive to the needs of this world Number one, I don't, I don't think I need to be a pastor. But number two, God, you need to bring revival, revival to my heart because it's grown cold. That, that, that something in each of our hearts breaks when we see the brokenness in the world. And when that brokenness is then brought into the church, because people don't come into the church perfect. They're born in it and they bring baggage into it. And sometimes that baggage stays for a long time. I think I'm still getting rid of some of them. The truth is, as imperfect as we are, we're loving on one another. God begins this amazing healing process through one another in the sense of family love and this connectedness. So, how did Jesus lay his life down? I want you to think about it for a moment because we're supposed to love as he did, sacrifice as he sacrificed. Did Jesus, when he marched to the cross, carrying that cross upon his shoulders, after this back on which the, the cross was draped over, it had been torn apart by those 40, 39 lashes. 
Do you think that his attitude was, God, why are you having me do this? I can't believe it. Couldn't we have just done this a little easier, found a better, easier, way more comfortable? I mean, I don't know what it would be like to have nails driven through my hands and my feet, but Jesus did that, and he didn't do it begrudgingly. You know what my Bible says? In the book of Hebrews, it says, for the joy set before him, he enjoyed it. Do you know who that joy was? See, that joy was you and me. This, this idea of redemption, you know, he didn't want heaven without us. When God looked down, he said, Al, I, I don't want to be without you. I want you, I want you to be glory. I want you with me forever. And Jesus went to the cross for the joy that he saw Sharon and Cole and said, I want them in my forever. And so Jesus went to the cross for the joy You know, when we serve, is that the type of attitude? Do we do it for the joy set before us? I hope we do. You know, for, for all of my kids, that was one of the main things we wanted to teach them to serve. <laughs> and eventually, what we really wanted to hear was for them to initiate, for them to take the trash out, for them to clean up their room, and even maybe their brothers or sisters' stuff, to clean up in the family room to, you know, right now they'll, they'll just do dishes for because we shared dish detail and so I was sick and, and I went to bed and the next morning I realized oh my goodness I was sick I forgot to do the dishes but they're done and I found out my wife was so sneaky she did the dishes for me and so you know my daughter will do May will do we, we just serve we do this one another for one another and so we serve each other with this goal of we want to love, we want you to experience God's love today in this very simple but tangible way. And that type of love expressed changes people's lives, church. When they when when the lost come in and they're hurting and they're hungry for something that's real and deep and genuine, love must be sincere, genuine, right? When they experience that, it undoes them. When Jesus preached the gospel, many times, what did he do in accompanying that teaching? He healed. He multiplied bread and fishes. He met people's needs. He loved on them. That's what we do, church. We love on one another. In Galatians 6, it says, don't become weary in doing good for the proper time you will reap a harvest. <laughs> and then it goes on and it says, and do good to everyone, especially, especially to the family of believers. That's you and me. You said, church, we love people, but we're more focused on one another. And you see that throughout the book of Acts. And it impacted people. When the, when, when the church got it down, where they were, all of them were doing the work that the priests, the Jewish priests generally did. Acts 6 tells us at that moment, many priests became obedient to the faith. They saw it and they said, they're doing it better than we ever did. Wow. What's up with these people? They're Jesus' followers. And they began to connect the dots. 
and they realized this Jesus they crucified he, he, he was really and truly who he said he was the Messiah sent from God God himself wow and many came to faith lives changed because of Jesus Christ Psalm 68 6 it says God sets the lonely in families in, in other translations it uses the word solitary God takes the solitary those who are alone by themselves and he puts them in a family We've just always had a desire to be a blessing to people. And if God could open up a door for someone to live with us, and if we prayed about it, we made that opportunity available. Right now, May lives with us. We, over the years, we've had many live with us. The first one to do that, if I'm not mistaken, was Ann Poindexter. Ann Poindexter went to the same school, uh, graduate school that I did. She, was, she got her Juris Doctorate. I got my biblical studies, Masters of Divinity, and she, when we graduated, when I graduated, she lived with us for two years, and she was an aunt to my kids. We are still in touch with Ann Poindex. I remember one, tre one treasured occasion in which Juliana somehow found her way, and Juliana was just a, a little girl, very curious little girl, I might add, and she's not here right now, so I'm going to make sure I really play this up. But the truth is, she walked into Anne's bedroom, and she was never allowed to do that. And she began to investigate. She took little bottles of perfume and dumped them everywhere, and little things of lotion, and rubbed them all over and everywhere. And when Anne came in after work, a long, hard day, she was a prosecutor. <laughs> Did I tell you she was a prosecutor? And she walked into her room and Bam! It was so aromatic. And she said, what has happened? And she did her little investigating, and she found out who the culprit was. And Juliana confessed, and Anne was so gracious. And then she proceeded, to, after Juliana was disciplined, told never she could never do that again. So instead of going into Anne's room, she then went into her bathroom and dumped all of our precious little lotions and whatnot that Meredith had on display. For display use only, she didn't understand that. She just wanted to see how much the toilet would bubble up after pouring shampoo in it, right? And so she then, Anne, puts a special doorknob that, I don't know what you, it's plastic, you put it on it, and you have to grab it just right in order to turn it, and it's supposed to be childproof. The only problem is no one can get into Anne's room except Juliana. And so, but Anne lived with us. We're, we're still in touch with her. I was just actually, I happened to connect with her on, on Facebook just the other day. But, you know, that's, that's, she's part of our forever family. We've had a number of people with her. God wants to set the road. God wants us as families, literally and physically, if, if we're not having someone live with us, to maybe adopt a single, to just be a mother or father in the case of someone or an aunt or an uncle to them. And many of our older teens are in their 20s. We had many of them, many of them would look at the children in our church and kind of adopt them and just be a friend to them, mentor them, help them grow in Christ and 
be a big brother or another to them. This is part of what it means then to be the family of God. <clears throat> God's antidote for sin is the cross. Jesus laid his life down for us. God's antidote for loneliness is that by the cross, they are now included in his forever family. And that you and I then adopt them, if you will, love on them, be a mom or a dad or an uncle or an aunt, and we love on them. God's antidote for rejection and hurt and abuse and estrangement in this world is his forever family. See, it's you and me. Each of us. I remember it was such a precious moment. Cooper and Rusty, two of my grandkids, were in our living room, family room. Something happened, and I think they saw it on TV, uh, in which someone got in trouble, and someone came to the rescue, and Cooper, he said, I'm not going to quote him, but he said something like this, Rusty, I'd be willing to fight to the death for you. And it was one of those precious moments, moments, and it was like, Cooper, did you just really say that? That was so precious. And then they got into a fight about something I didn't understand, right? But see, sibling rivalry can take place in the church, too. Paul says in Galatians, if you keep on biting, devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed. Jealousies, just arguments that we get into goal must be and Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4 31 he says forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave you and I just want to encourage you if there is someone that has hurt you maybe hurt you deeply and there are times in which you wake up in the middle of the night and it's as if an elephant is sitting on your chest you wake up in the morning and there's this sense of dread when you think about that person. That when you see them, you go down a different direction. You go in a different direction. That when they say something, you give a very quick reply and move the conversation or move, remove yourself from the conversation. There is probably a hurt and a seed of bitterness in your heart. And Jesus says, forgive them just as in Christ I forgave you. And, and may I just throw this caveat in? As a pastor, trying to facilitate some of this forgiveness, what I've discovered is many times, guys, when we get hurt, it's because of a misunderstanding. Wow. And just for months, this person's unfolding how they've been wrestling with this hurt and why did you do this? And in like 10 seconds, it was cleared up because they had misunderstood something they had said. That's why Matthew, in Matthew 18, Jesus said, hey, when someone sins against you, go to them privately and point out their sin to win them. Not to, like, get back at them. Not to put them in their place. Yeah, you did this to me. Now I am going to rebuke you and kind of get it off my shoulders, right? I've heard people talk, yeah, I needed to get it off my shoulders. No, 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 no. You just wanted to seek revenge. Our goal isn't revenge as a church. Our goal is what? It's forgiveness. Right? That's what families do. They get over it. I, I can remember 
as a boy, maybe it's just me as a kid, right? But there was a, my best friend I grew up with till seventh grade and he moved away. He and I, we did everything together. We got into so many fights and within minutes, we were like best buds again. We just got over. Wouldn't it be wonderful when the church began to do that, right? And, and they really sought for forgiveness. They just talked it through. Now, in all fairness to my friend Greg and I, we probably didn't talk it through too much. We probably just slugged each other in the shoulder and, okay, we moved on. Don't do that, though. We truly draw people out. Help me understand why. Oh, my goodness, is that what you thought I said? No. Or we just say, wow, you know what? You're totally right. I don't get it. I don't know why I did. Please forgive me. And you own it. Totally just own it. See, that's how we live and love in the family of God. It's our privilege. Church, it's our privilege to rejoice that before us. It's our privilege to love, to sacrifice, to lay down our lives, to rejoice, to weep, and to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're family. Romans 15 verse 1. I'm going to read that to you. I'm not going to say much about this. I have been spending quite a bit of time in Romans, uh, the first seven verses this past week. But I believe the Lord wants me to just share something briefly here. It says this, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 7 says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. In the previous chapter, it talked about certain weaknesses. And they weren't even sin weaknesses. They were theological differences. They had different perspectives. It's amazing how churches develop in squabbling over so many issues. I think they need to talk them through. I think they need to do this. But there needs to be unity. There needs to be this sense of forbearance. And Paul says, bear with the failings, the weaknesses of those who are not strong. That's how the Greek is. Bear with the weaknesses of those. Those who tend to lack faith. There were some people in the church that practiced the food laws. Things that were common or uncommon. Things that were clean or unclean. And Paul says, all things can be received with thanksgiving. This is not an issue of eating or drinking. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. But people were starting to make it that way. Paul said, no. Bear with the wheel. And then he says, accept each other. You know, when Sarah and when Mike became part of the, the church, there were times in which Meredith and I would just put our hands over our mouth and we would laugh just because of stuff they would say or do. It's like, but you wanted to see that. Patience. We love to honor them. And so many of you, may, Mary, I know you were there and Changed their lives. The people love them. Amazing. 
bear with each other, with each other's weaknesses. All of us have weaknesses. We accept each other no matter what. I remember, I'm just going to conclude with several examples of what it means to be this kind of spiritual family. I remember when a young man in our church, his name was Bruno. Bruno, when he was a teenager, was traveling with his dad. He was a businessman, and they were in Europe. And his dad got into an argument with Bruno and hopped on a plane and left his son in that country. And Bruno grew up with these types of I was just, I was amazed that he, that he hadn't been hurt any more than what he was. But God had to do a lot of healing. And God just called me to be a, a mentor and a dad to him. I remember one time in which I said, hey Bruno, I want to teach you how to build a bunk bed. I mean, I was doing a bunk bed for um, Aisha and um, two of my girls in a back bedroom. Aisha was living with us at the time, and I said, we're going we're gonna to build this. So here's the plans. And I love planning, okay? And I had it all detailed. I had different, several pictures. Here's a side view. Here's a front view. Here's a top view. You know, here's how the, here's the drill holes we're going to make. Every drill hole we were going to make, and how we were, everything. And so we drilled all the holes first, and then we painted it so we didn't have to paint it afterwards. And then I put it together. At least we put it together in stages because you, you couldn't build the whole thing and then bring it up to the bedroom. But I showed him how to cut and how to to drill and all of these, how to measure and why I made the plans the way I did. And so I just kind of mentored him. Here's, here's how you build a bunk bed. On my wife's my 25th wedding anniversary, um, we were asked on that day to be blindfolded. We knew something, was, we knew they were going to be doing something. We had no idea what it was. And so they blindfolded Meredith and I, and we stepped into a vehicle. It was actually our van. And someone was, I can't even remember who was the driver, and they drove us. And they purposely drove all over the place so we would completely, I have a pretty decent sense of direction. So they wanted to totally confuse us. So we had no idea where we were. So we finally arrived, like 30 minutes later, and it's only a five-minute trip, we arrived at the Sonora Clubhouse, and we're still blindfolded, and they graciously walk us in, and there's about 100 to 150 people in there, I can't remember exactly, and they take off the blindfolds, and they say, happy anniversary. It's some, and Meredith and I, and I believe that we actually um, redid our wedding vows. Pastor Jim Timmons was their good friend of mine. And then when they opened the door, whoever just wants to say a word of encouragement, and Bruno came on. And Bruno just, Bruno couldn't get through what he wanted to say. Bruno's this tall, six foot two black guy, and he's really big. And he and I would just joke with one another, introducing ourselves and say, yeah, this is my son. And he said, yeah, this is my dad. You can see the resemblance. And we would joke with people like that. And he stood there all six foot two of them, just falling like a baby. He said, no thanks for being dead. So many of you 
did that with other people. I remember Stephen took Mike Jeffers under his wing. He was the arrival kid, mentored him. On occasion, would fall asleep just because of Stephen's health conditions. And, and but you know, Mike was adopted into that family. He was like a, another member of the family. The Smiths had three kids at that time. Good times. For all those good times, always have some bad times. But that's what makes us strong. We walk through. <clears throat> we as a church on numerous occasions, we have our company, the Powerline Yard Work Company. And some of you have been beneficiaries of that. We just take several hours and we just we serve. We serve each other. When there's a need, we do that. You know, we, we have widows in our church. And we have people like Le- Leanne, who's pretty much uh, div- uh, um, she's divorced, but her husband is completely estranged. And I won't get into that mess, but she's basically like a widow. And we're called to serve and help her. She just went through an operation. Give her a call, by the way. We have a moving company. If you didn't realize that, the Powerline Moving Company, we have moved about two dozen families easily, the toughest of which is when you guys moved us. <laughs> anyway, we, we've moved one another. I remember I, one of our latest or last moves, I can't remember all of them, was when we moved the Smiths out of their place on Rudder Circle, living right next door to the Furs. There was a mildew issue in there, and they just had to get out of there. So we moved them, and we went through everything, everything. We had about 30 people there, I think. We just went through everything, because some of it had to get thrown away and all of that. We hauled it, we put it, we stored it. And then Karen took them, Karen McCreary took Mary and Saxon, May is living with us, took these two into her home for over a year, a year and a couple of months. But she just said, you know what, let me just open my home to you. Not everybody is called to do that. That's not easy. But this is this is something Karen just decided, this is what I'm going to do. I want to I love on that. You know, tomorrow we have Yvette's store. And she needs help moving from one location to another. And they've finally gotten that most recent location all fixed up, and now it's time to move. And so Diego's just saying, hey, who can help me? And so we're just saying, wow, I, I personally didn't even realize that it was this weekend that they're going to try and do that. And uh, and so tomorrow morning, 9.30, and this is a plug, by the way, 9.30, many of you, if you can, come join us, and let's serve, let's do what we can to, to help you that move her store contents. It, it, it's not like this huge store or anything. But it's going to take several hours to move this move because she's part of our family. She's not been able to make it Saturday with Ethan's very much. Pray for her that business is able to get to a place where she can, you know, shut it down or be able to leave it and be able to join us for Saturday evenings. Us switching Sunday mornings to Saturday evenings was, was difficult for her. This church, this is family. We're family with one another. We have been called to lay our lives down for each other. We pray for each other. If you were to take this Greek word alelone, it doesn't mean all alone. Alelone means one another. And it's the one another's. It's to serve one another, pray for one another, 
It's the give to one another. It's the love one another and so on and, and such. And there's over 50 of these in the New Testament. Church, that's what we do. We are an alleluia group. We are a one another group. We serve each other and love each other and pray for each other. This is what we do. And I want to tell you right now, churches throughout America, if we are going to see, we were praying for America just recently, if we're going to see America truly experience revival, the church needs to grasp this. Not just the gospel in this relationship with Jesus, but now with one another and work it out as the family of God, loving on each other so that when the hurting and when these statistics that I read to you, when they come through those doors, they're not just a, a statistic. They are a wounded, hurting person who has many of them redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now it's our opportunity. We embrace them and we love on them and we are family to them. Because we're connected. I want to pray with you. And I want to ask that God would give us opportunities because we're not just a local church and this is the only place where we experience that one another togetherness as a local church. But as God's city church, there's so many Christians called together love and serve each other. Father, I just ask you, yeah, someone could go get the kids, that'd be great. Father, I just ask you that you would minister to our hearts today, God. That you would teach us, God, if we've never grown up in a healthy, strong, functional family. I ask, Father, that, that Powerline, that others in your city, church, that we would be that family that we desperately need. That God that you would work in us something so absolutely phenomenal that when the world looks on, you would say, that's what I want. That's what I have been wanting all of my life. And I just ask you, Lord, as the early church did, as Father, help us do it. No needy among us, loving each other, working through our common lives, forgiving each other. Would you help us, Lord? We need a greater anointing for this God in our day.